There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. As anyone knows, mm-hmm. the uh, true travesty uh, of a, I'm, I'm a, I was a sufferer. I was a victim when? of childhood obesity. <laughs> <laughs> I was a victim of it. I don't think that's I, true. I, I think your mother, co- your mother coddled you too I much. I was a victim. You were not but a victim. I do feel that if maybe we increase some of these childhood work farms like they used to uh, have, that's a we good could idea. fight the obesity epidemic in this country, <laughs> putting kids Hard at work. Aren't you the one who has PTSD from your fat camp, uh, fat I camp experience? You are not a victim. A victim of Hershey bars. All right. Welcome to the last podcast on the left of everyone. I am Ben Kissel, uh, staring at the beautiful Marcus Parks. Yep. And he's back from the West Coast. He's in studio. With Carl Pinzer. <laughs> Carl Pinzer. Is that P- how you pronounce it? Pinzer. Yes. Henry Zabrowski is with us in studio, uh, which is awesome to see you. Yeah, and I touch feel... You. Um, Moist. Uh, you, but now yes. that I have the sound hood in LA, uh-huh. that is way more moist. Yeah. Yes. That thing is like a giant, essentially like evil clans hood, but I mean evil like opposite. So it's like I love Yeah, it's everyone. like a clans hood. <laughs> you don't have to say evil clans hood. That's it would be implied it's, in clans hood. It's the opposite clans hood. No. <laughs> No, so I think it, what he mean, what he means is that uh, clan hoods are always evil, but his hood is not evil. It's evil to the clan. See? It's more like opposite. It's like when you put a you, mustache on a guy and he's evil now. Evil then. Why do you get me in these conversations? <laughs> How am I in this right now? I'm the anchor. We are talking about Carl Pansram Pansram. Pansram. And this story, oh my God. Wowie, wowie, wow, wow, wow. That's a hot take, and I agree with it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say... This man, I was sort of aware because I knew about the quotes and mm. I've seen the pictures of his face. Very mean looking, yeah. technically deviously handsome, mm-hmm. right? Kind of, yeah, yeah kind of handsome, sure. beautiful eyes, soft <laughs> mouth, that kind of uh. hair that goes back, looking a little bit like Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> a little bit. Oh my God. We were on the plane. Slight uh, side note. We were on the plane coming back from Texas. Thank you, Texas. Thank you, Texas. That was a fucking amazing oh, tour. Thank yes. you for the wonderful homecoming. And, and Dallas was such a wonderful show. We came on stage. Our audience is so nice, and Marcus's mother was in the back. And after the show, she said, "You all came on stage, and I just started crying." She's it very, was really sweet. She's extremely proud. And your yeah. family was wonderful. So thank, thank you, you, Texas. Thank We're you. on the flight back. I just hear uproarious laughter in the row next to me, and I look over, watching Frasier. Yeah, and they <laughs> were going. It. I'm talking like it was like it was like a uh, Def Jam comedy. They were <laughs> going crazy watching Frasier. They were escaping from a Waco-like compound. And it's the first time they've seen any sort of sitcom. They're like, so this is a situational comedy. Comedy. Um, but anyway, Carl Carl yes. Pansram is slowly but surely licking, scraping, and fucking his way to the top of the list of serial killers for me. Uh-huh. I think he is. What a story. And well, that's what he said in his head. Every time he was doing a murder, he said, one day a fat boy from Queens will respect me. One day. Well, he technically had several fat boy from Queens. That's true by chains. Well, that's the thing about listening to true crime writers uh, talk about Carl Panzerum. They can barely contain their excitement. It's mm. like they're all just waiting to go like, this dude is so cool. This guy's fucking crazy. God, I mean, honestly, have you seen The Expendables? This guy would be on The Expendables. He would be. Well, I suppose there is a part of him that everybody does want to harness for their own sake and their own power. I mean, yes, it's true. Out- he is a true outlaw. Right. Yeah. So Carl Panzram was an American nomadic hobo serial killer who robbed, raped, burned, and killed his way around the world in the first 20 or so years of the 1900s. And that is True. Around Around the world. world. (laughs) And in the 1900s, the early 1900s, that was very difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah, every place he went just looked like Twisted Metal (laughs) 2, just in shambles after he left. Uh, In his introduction to the book, Carl Panzram, A Journal of Murder, which is required reading. So good. Harold Schechter described Carl Panzram perfectly. He wrote that Panzram was a one-man apocalypse, an implacable human engine of destruction and retribution, bent on wreaking havoc on a contemptible world. Do it in the Harold Schechter voice. Uh, (laughs) was a one-man apocalypse, an implacable human engine of destruction and retribution, bent on wreaking havoc on a contemptible word. I am not Kermit. <laughs> we love you, Harold Schechter. Yes. You're our favorite. Absolutely. <laughs> we kid because we love. This guy, though. Oh, so wow. good. Oh, you know, here's a quote uh, from Panzram himself that tells you everything you need to know. Now, remember, we have a collective
collection of his letters. So we have a lot of information straight from the old dog's mouth himself. Mm-hmm. So this is him writing about himself. And quite articulately as well. Mm-hmm. In my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and I but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 human beings. I used the nice word. That is nice. That is a nice I word. I get credit for using the nice word. Carl Panzeram does get credit for it. You don't. <laughs> for all of these things, I am not the least bit sorry. I have no conscience, so that does not worry me. I don't believe in man, God, or devil. I hate the whole damned human race. Including myself. If you or anyone else will take the trouble and have the intelligence or patience to follow and examine every one of my crimes, you will find that I have consistently followed one idea through all of my life. I preyed upon the weak, the harmless, and the unsuspecting. This lesson I was taught by others. Might makes Right. It sounds like a bad guy from Metal Gear Solid. It's so yeah, good. It's like a video game, like you just beat one of the fat bosses who had a robotic <laughs> wheelchair, and they're like, but it's not done yet. <laughs> no, he's the living embodiment of a Nick Cave song. It is unreal, this he's guy. He's the gay Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> he was raised by the sword. He lives by the sword. He does nothing but for the love of Krong. All Unless... he wants is to see people run from him in fear. Well, now I think we're becoming, we're channeling our Harold Schechter love for this. He is a murderer who did horrible things. Yeah, we will get into the story. And guess what? He got it too. Yeah. Yes. Now, victim-wise, Carl Panzerem didn't exactly have a type, but with a couple of exceptions, his rage was focused mostly on other men. Panzerem's murders were all about power and dominance, especially if there was sodomy involved, which there was the vast majority of the time. Well, he specifically said there's not much fun in the world except for whiskey and sodomy. Mm-hmm. And when you, that's your quote, when that's mm-hmm. your bu- your bumper sticker is like, I'd rather be sodomizing. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like it's like a Hank Williams Jr. song. He's like, nah, I can't put that sodomy part in. Uh, you know what? Beer for my horses. That's that's the song. Uh, yes, here you go. You can have it. Now, the Carl Panzeram story is known to us because in the later years of his life, he befriended a prison guard named Henry Lesser. And after they became friends, Panzeram told Lesser, You are one of the very few people I do not wish to harm. Unless you start wearing that male romper. <laughs> it is a fashion travesty. <laughs> it will not be around very long. Uh, th- this uh, relationship reminds me of Halloween, uh, with the, the reboot with Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. where uh, Danny Trejo is the prison guard. And then, of course, at some point, uh, Michael Myers, he didn't treat him with very much I was respect. good to you. <laughs> I was good to you, Michael. Lesser encouraged Carl to write an autobiography detailing his various escapades throughout the years, and Carl obliged. Now, this is one of the very few serial killers where the main source we're using is the killer himself. Now, uh- normally... This is very unreliable. Normally. Now, and a lot of this is going to sound absolutely insane, but a lot of it has been fully or mostly verified by researchers. And in fact, no major statement that Panzeram wrote in his autobiography has been disproven. Hmm. He gives sources while he's writing. You know, he'll be writing about a certain crime, he said, and, and then he'd say, look, you can go to this location in this town, check out this newspaper, and you will find an article about this crime that I did. And you'll also notice there's a Culver's. And <laughs> butter does make a better burger, I can tell you that. But the book Panzram, what's the, the a ju- Panzram, a journal of murder, the, and the book Panzram, a journal of murder, does such a great job of keeping the footnotes together. Mm-hmm. So you go and you learn. It is one of the best true crime books I've ever read. Yeah. and also Carl Panzram. An incredible writer. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. He yeah, actually is. Rich. And the guy, uh, Henry Lesser, he spent 40 years carrying these letters around before someone finally published them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, because he, he said no one wants to read the, the, the gibberings of a maniac. And then right. thousands of little fat boys like myself went, I do. <laughs> 
I check it out. Now, the biggest lie anyone could find that Panzram told is that he caused $100,000 in damage when he burned a building down, mm. when in fact the damage was estimated to be around $30,000. I mean, it's not exactly a lie. He's just guilty of not knowing how to appraise real estate. Technically, yeah. that's just a Zabrowski way of telling a story. Yeah, he didn't realize that he burnt down a place that was nothing but filled with nothing but Ikea furniture, <laughs> which is a very discounted price. <laughs> Now, for me, the most amazing thing about Panzram is that the only reason why we know of him today is because he decided to talk. Well, I mm. think a lot of the guys that are in Panzram's oeuvre, the mm-hmm. type of man that Panzram was, don't do a lot of talking. No. Or do a lot of writing, specifically. <laughs> or no. reading, or anything but sodomizing and murdering, and then probably getting murdered on a train. Yeah. While being sodomized, perhaps. Now, yeah. it, that's the thing, is that it's impossible to know how many dozens, if not hundreds, of Carl Panzrams existed in America that we will never know about, especially in this time period, because it is important to know that Carl Panzerem is very much a product of his time. Well, he's, um, I was talking about it with Natalie, and we both compared him. It's like, I would see Carl Panzerem as an incredible villain, as a part, him, same thing as uh, H.H. Holmes. Same level, also created by this time period, which is, then it's, it's transitory. Yeah. There's literally, there was no highways. Mm-hmm. There was no way to get out. Essentially, the West was still kind of like the West, but it wasn't. There was like a weird-ass transitional period. Well, yeah, this is, yeah, this was a super weird transitional period. Mm-hmm. The like late 1800s, uh, early 1900s, the West was pretty much settled by this point. Mm-hmm. There was still a couple of Indian Wars going on, uh, but it was still extremely violent. And this was at the tail end of uh, the settling of the West and the yeah. tail end of the Civil War. The Civil War was not that long ago. The most violent period in American history had just happened. So by this point, Americans were pretty much used to violence. It's like, well, we just live in an extremely violent country. This is the way things are. Uh, And of course, when they had that violence... They had to meet it with equally brutal punishment in the American penal system, which Carl Panzram is without a doubt a product of. And it was before uh, the corporate overlords took over in the 1900 election with McKinley and before uh, the oligarchy that we're living in now began. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it, was, it was a wild time all around. And when do the reptilians get in? <laughs> I think they're somewhere in this time period, but Carl Panzram is different. It reminds me again of Manson, yeah. where he mm-hmm. is a completely, he was taught punishment by us. The U.S. government and the penal system punished Panzram so hard that he just shot it back out the back door and he just became harder and meaner every single time they heard it him. It seems like he had a slightly different experience in jail than Charles Manson who learned how to play guitar. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. It seems like Panzram might have been treated a little bit worse. But, but. If maybe he had just paid a little more attention when he was in the band, which we're going to find out later on. He was in a prison band for a little while, which <laughs> yeah. is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, he always said, I was too dumb to play music. <laughs> oh, poor. See, now I feel bad for him. Do not feel bad for I him. I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> But before we get to Panzram's many, many years spent in prison, let's start with his birth in 1891. <laughs> Ken Burns music. <laughs> was the youngest of five kids born to German immigrant dirt farmers in Minnesota. He said, I've been a human animal ever since I was born. And I'm not talking about like a parakeet. <laughs> I'm talking about like a... Wildebeest. I didn't really learn too much about animals, come to think of it. I just watched Logan, and I can't stop thinking of him as Wolverine. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got a sort of a Wolverine-type vibe. What is a dirt farmer, by the way? Is it just a bad farmer? Is you pile it? up the dirt? And then, yeah, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, what is it? Because I know uh, Levon Helm always talks about just, dirt farmers. It's just a farmer that just runs shitty land. You know, just oh, shitty land that's just never going to grow anything, oh, but, they okay. said, but they still... Keep toiling at the dirt anyway. They would put him in school all day for eight hours because the dad, basically, he they had he had four brothers and two sisters, I believe. Mm. The dad was kind of this weird, restless spirit, kind of a faceless, one of those farmer guys, right? It was just like dead on the inside in Alcoholic, the middle of the country. extremely uh, temperamental. Well, that's the thing is his father <laughs> came to America thinking that, oh, we're going to get a homestead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get like a full plot of land. But by the time, you know, the late 1800s came around, a lot of America was was already settled. A lot of the West, mm-hmm. all, all of the good shit had been taken years ago. Oh, never, yeah. ever believe the pamphlets. Never. No, never. Don't. That's why we had the Dust Bowl, for fuck's sake. Ooh, I love the Dust Bowl. Uh, if you're a German immigrant at that time and you can't make sausage, get out. 
Get out. <laughs> Just go back to what are, we, what are you here for? We're, we want the sausage. This is America. We have to have an obese son in Queens. Absolutely. Soon. So, but they would, so he would beat his family regularly, but mostly he was restless and just kind of like trying to figure out what to do. So he just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And when he disappeared, the mom kind of went a little crazy and also needed a lot of help running the farm because his older brother was the one that was like sort of like would have been the next in line to the dad to like take over shit. He sort of like fell in love with strippers and casinos, which is really strange because it seems like a thing you wouldn't fall in love with. Like it's not like the most <laughs> wonderful like like human compared to a fucking Minnesota carnival. dirt farm. Yeah, like, oh, I don't yeah, know why. I don't know why he liked that. Yeah. Some, and they, then he became a cop. Yes, really? the old, uh, oldest brother became a cop. Yeah, and so wow. he, uh, as a kid, was forced to he'd go to school for eight hours, which was not friendly. Like That's it's not the that same, bad. just normal corporal thing. And yeah. then the mom would immediately put him on the farm where he was picking up rocks and doing stuff all night long until he would get like two or three hours of sleep, go back to school, and did this every day until. Just his childhood. That was what that's a childhood the story was. of many American farm kids. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. That's not it really so bad. Is. And uh, the thing is, is that most of the other Panzerams, or actually all the rest of the Panzerams, turned out just fine. Hmm. But what happened to Carl? Brain injury. Uh, That'll yeah. do it. Yes, of course. When Carl was a kid, he had a mastoid removed from his left ear. Uh, but as this was the 1890s and the family was dirt poor, the surgery was done at home. Technically, they were dirt rich. Yes, that's what I was about <laughs> to say. Unfortunately, you can't sell dirt. So, uh. And, of course, that didn't work, and the infection just got even worse, Ugh. and Carl was finally taken to a hospital where a second operation was done and the mastoid was removed successfully. But it is extremely possible that the infection and or the home surgery caused some sort of brain damage. Yeah. Like, whatever it is in our brains that governs <laughs> anger and, and hate and rage, it just got knocked loose in Carl, and he just could never... Get it under control again. Can you imagine going to a doctor who operates on your brain in what the 1890s? 1890s. And yeah. they just open up a bag and it looks like a bunch of gadgets and things like that from a Three Stooges sketch. <laughs> Pretty much. Just, it a, all just looks a wacky like... hammer and just like, I don't even know what this one does. Come boing, over here. Boing, boing. <laughs> and you literally have to be like, These, this is the best doctor we have in the country. I Technically, yesterday he killed four horses, <laughs> but when today he's going to do good because he only had one pint of Schlitz. Oh, that's good for the brain. That's good for brain doctoring. Well, soon after the operation, his dad left when Carl was seven. And then after that, Carl was getting into trouble constantly. He got arrested for the first time at the age of eight for public intoxication. He was like a a tiny W.C. Field. (laughs) And it's like also if the little rascals was real. Was real, exactly, yeah. And when Carl was 11, he broke into a neighbor's home and stole apples, cake, and a pistol. Because he sat, he was sitting at 11 years old. He's sitting there drunk. He is contemplating life because at this point he's completely pulled out of school. He's now just working on the farm. And he's like, you know, a lot of other kids could do whatever they want. They just, I bet I could just take what they have. Like he literally Mm -hmm. just learned like, oh, I just go over there and I take their shit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine him too just like hardened with a bottle of whiskey, just a jug with three X's, (laughs) just sitting on the porch, just waiting for a pube? Dude, what do you do? You're 11 years old. Come on, like, Come on now. I know something's rustling. <laughs> Today's sponsor for the last podcast on the left is Stamps.com. Stamps.com saves you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. Create your Stamps.com account in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. Print postage for your letters or packages at your convenience 24-7, seven days a week. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in the code LEFT. That's Stamps.com. Enter LEFT. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Of course, he was caught after he stole the apples, the cake, and the pistol. He was beaten, uh, as he had been for most of his life up to that point, and he was sent to the Minnesota State Training School in Red Wing, Minnesota. And this is where Pansram said he began to learn about man's inhumanity to man. 
true story about Red Wing. I was in there with my friend Noah. Uh, he lived in Red Wing. His father was a pastor, and I think he's a big fan of the show. Wow. Uh, and I got food poisoning from a bratwurst. So you're telling me that I don't know about the horrors of Red Wing? I think that I do. I couldn't have bratwurst for months. I just don't know if you earned the baby yet. I don't know. Yeah, we'll get into that. Oh, my God. That's a horrible thing. The Minnesota State Trading School was first and foremost a Christian facility. Panzram said their method of training was to beat the goodness into them and the badness out. He wrote, The more they beat me and whipped me, the more I hated them and their damn religion. Yeah, it's not a good way to get people into your faith. <laughs> Beating the living hell out of them. It's not the hell's angels for crying out loud. Certain people, it brainwashes you. It's essentially brainwashing. You yeah, put them in a yeah. big square and you do a thing where it's like, you. that's all they hear all day long. You change their thinking. You beat them and you beat them and you beat them. The idea is to create little robots. Right. That's what they thought they could do. Yeah, you, you beat them down until they finally, tr- they choose to join you. I mean, it was a I lot. Know. It's like what we uh, did to a lot of Native American tribes is that yes. we killed them until they loved us. Yeah, and it's what, uh, what was it, the Quakers who who invented solitary confinement until mm-hmm. they deemed it too uh, too demeaning and torturous. Uh, that's what they used to do to try to get people back to the faith. Also, yeah. a uh, really but I always say gummy bears. <laughs> Give me a gummy bear, and I will. I'll go to a Scientology meeting. Also, a really good way to to re up your commitment in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Cut off all outside. <laughs> oh yeah, that's outside. Outside. Absolutely that not. fixes everything. Yeah, absolutely the opposite of that. Uh, when Panzerum got to the school, he said a man named John Moore sat him down explained the rules, and examined his penis and rectum thoroughly. You got to. I don't know. Damn, kids just in there with any sorts of candies, candy canes, candy corns, <laughs> up inside these holes, up inside their penises? I don't know. <laughs> he then asked Carl if he had ever committed sodomy or had ever had sodomy committed on him. Uh, and when Carl said, when Carl told the guy he didn't know what sodomy was, Carl said the officer explained it to him in great detail. Quote, unquote, great re- detail. Yes, it sounds quite disturbing. So this is the one of the first incidences of his, um, I guess he was being preyed on uh, as, as a youth as well. Yeah, in the, uh, this is one of his first experiences in the outside world, outside of the, the Minnesota Dirt Farm, the small uh, city uh, where he was living. He mm. shows up to this reform school and it's just immediately there is a middle-aged man fiddling with him. You know what it is, too, is that think about the people that are hired to work for this sort of establishment. You find out your job is that you literally just beat children all day. Who do you think you're going to get? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's uh, these people. Or maybe they come in good and then they just get institutionalized in their own right. Well, the reform school employees, they were said to be worse than prison guards. They were Mm. underpaid. They were undertrained. They didn't know what they were doing. They just shoved them in there with all of these children. And they're like, Figure it out. Yeah, oh. fix them. Fix them. That's not going to yeah. help. Now, Panzerum said that during his first year at reform school, he get a beaten every Saturday night as routine. Like Just- Donald Trump has been with Saturday Night Live. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. It could. It's like <laughs> Melissa yeah. McCarthy, Old Spice wow. is what that's what she's calling wow. them. I spicy. should be a comedy blogger. <laughs> That was a good topical reference, yeah, though. That was I, really I, good. I'm that giving was, you credit that. For was that was really good, Saturday Night Live. Now, sometimes he would just get a few more beatings throughout the week for good measure for various things like kicking other boys, using bad language, or filling his hat with sugar from the dining room. Little rascal. <laughs> yeah, that, that last one is kind of adorable. Just did little kid crimes. <laughs> he he did. did all these little kid crimes. But, he technically got in there for stealing cake. And well, apple, a gun. And, and, a, and a gun. Well, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like cake and apples and then he he saw the gun as well. Uh, at this right. point, guy like Panzerum going to reform school, like he wasn't gone yet. No. Uh, he absolutely was he not. He was just a little boy on a dirt farm well, who had rage problems who technically needed a hug. Yeah. He seemed like he was two-thirds of a little boy because it always seems like, you know, kicking boys, okay, that's not very good. But then stealing sugar, it's like, okay, that's very childish. Yeah. Uh, apples and pie, that's very childish. He also the hit- gun is a fairly adult maneuver. He also hit puberty at the age of seven. But he's going like, yeah. all of a sudden he was like, hey, everybody. They went, I need a shot of whiskey. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah, when Panzram or any of the other boys were punished, they were taken to what was known locally as the paint shop, so named mm. because that's where the administration would figuratively paint the boys' bodies black and blue. Uh, that wasn't where Bob Ross taught them how to paint mountains. <laughs> so cute. Uh-huh. I actually thought of a second, it was also like the LaGuardia School of Music here in New York City, the school where fame was based on, oh. and they were creating some sort of gigantic performance piece. 
No. That would be kind of nice. <laughs> no, it was a it was a torture chamber. It was a torture, a torture chamber. chamber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The boys the boys would be stripped naked and bent over a large wooden block, and a towel soaked in salt water would be spread on their backs oh. from their shoulders to their knees. They would then be whipped with a leather strap that had little holes punched through it. Those little holes, when they were hit, it would make blisters. And those blisters, the more they hit them, mm. they would burst. And What's the whipping continued. And when the blisters burst, that's when the saltwater soaked mm. towel would start to work on the open wounds. And then you still got a sugar-coated hat. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And by the end of all that, Panzram said, Naturally, I now love Jesus very much. Yes, I love him so damn much that I would like to crucify him all over again. I mean, this is just such uh, sadistic stuff. Yeah. For, for people to come up with this and then to use these uh, tortures, uh, the, I mean, almost of prisoners of war. This is Guantanamo Bay stuff. They're kids. I mean, they're, and, and, and these are children. They're yeah. 11 years old. It's yeah. unbelievable. And they came up with even weirder shit than that. Mm. They actually made a no shit paddling machine, which was a spinning jenny outfitted with paddles that would spank the boys over and over again when the crank was turned. It and does sound like kind of a funny Benny, Hins, or Benny Hill sketch, <laughs> uh, but I know it's not pat, funny because it's pat. very real. It's only funny if there's a nude woman with balloons in front of her breasts in front of it, and then <laughs> yeah. that actually turns into a Republican senator's house party. <laughs> also, these kids would go through the machine, and the old men, they invented this machine. They would, like, all the, the guards would like come up with new fun ways to torture the kids, and they Ugh. thought it was like funny, right. and they would just be sitting there cackling and drinking as these kids are running through the paddling machines, but they said specifically Carl Panzerim immediately learned to not scream or cry, mm. and he would just do it silently. Yeah. Mm. Now, possibly the worst idea the guards came up with to punish Panzerim was to make him wash dishes and wait tables in the officer's dining room, giving Carl access to the officer's food. Ooh. He would urinate into any liquid that was going to the dinner table, and he'd jerk off on the ice cream and any dessert that came in front of him. Awesome. And he said they enjoyed it, too, because they told him so. <laughs> I don't, uh, this is the closest he's ever come to a practical joke. <laughs> it's yes. a practice that continues, but also, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of sweet things, specifically ice cream, whether it's like a chocolate or vanilla, it's nice to have a little salty thing <laughs> yeah, on it. Because it, it helps knew, pop the flavor. Sure. that's what he And that's what he was thinking. He was doing it for culinary reasons, <laughs> not because he wanted to get back on his aggressive torturers. Guy Fieri has an entire series of sauces called donkey sauce. Yeah, it's Guy Fieri and donkey sauce is amazing. He's got a kick. After Carl got tired of just... <laughs> now I just can't think of a diner's drive-ins and dives without Carl Panzeram being the chef. And be like, so what's your what's your special recipe? I make salt. <laughs> That's out of bounds! And that it's very illegal and you should probably go to jail. Out of bounds. Well, after he got tired of jerking off on the ice cream and pissing in the soup, he tried to kill the officers with rat poison. But... For the, thankfully, for the guards' sake, this was the only time Carl got caught putting something in the food. He was beaten and promptly taken out of wait service. Mm. Uh, the paint shop, the spanking machine, those tortures are among the most tame that Panzram and countless other inmates would go through while in the American penal system in the early part of the 20th century. And that's the thing about mm. the shit that Panzram went through. He might have been one of the most evil motherfuckers to ever exist, and he may have even deserved a lot of the shit that came to him later on in life, but it wasn't just him who got it. Countless other people had to go through the same shit, and it did nothing to make any of them better people. And in mm -mm. fact, as we'll see, it just makes them worse. Well, totally. back in the day, they pretty much assumed that prisons were be like, we're going to essentially try to kill you, and you have to defy us by living. Yeah, like, right. we're literally going to just grind you down and grind you down, because it was kind of weird. It was kind of part of like the Skinner idea of like human, I don't know when that popped up the, when when psychiatry really started talking about human beings are machines mm -hmm. and that you can, if you change someone's behavior then they be, that's all you have to do is basically just cure the symptoms and then mental health will go back to normal like once basically you break somebody but then we're learning, you just make bad people worse. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is also why if you did hang out at a bar in the 1920s or 1930s and there was a quiet guy who was drunk don't go like trying to open him up like an oyster because the first <laughs> things that come out of his mouth will just be like that, uh, what's that uh, horror movie where they just open their mouths real wide and screams come out in a bright light? Are you talking about the Ben Kissel story? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my favorite horror film. Well, Either way, it's horrifying. Well, reading the Panzerim journals, that's sometimes what it feels like, uh, where you kind of have gotten cornered in a bar by the meanest motherfucker that you've ever met, and at first you're like, oh, okay, yeah, these stories, this is kind of bullshit, but the more he mm. talks, the more you're like, 
oh, I need to extricate myself from this conversation now. Because also we're going to find out Carl Panzerum's very lonely, and then when you do get cornered by him, things escalate with him very quickly. Yeah, especially if you're from Oregon. We'll we'll get to that later. So the more that Panzerum got into trouble, the more the guards beat him. And the more they beat him, the angrier and tougher he got. Then he came upon a way of dealing with shit that he would carry with him for the rest of his life. If I couldn't injure those who injured me, then I would injure someone else. They call me a bit of a grouch. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a nice word for what he became. Uh, He is literally the the race of human called a grouch. (laughs) Yeah, well... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh, 1905, Panzram's brother drowned in a logging accident on Red Lake River. Naturally, Panzram's mother asked if Panzram could be sent home to help out on the farm. They were down a man. But the superintendent of the reform school denied the request, saying that Carl hadn't made enough progress yet. And as retaliation, like Carl would do time and again, he set fire to the building where the infamous paint shop was located. And at this point, he had to be a hero to all of his peers. But they didn't know that he did it just yet. It was a thing where we're going to find out that he does this quite a bit, where he sets these fires. And normally in a serial killer's Mm. case, it's a sexual release. And now we're starting to get the the pieces together. He had a brain brain injury, and he was deeply in arson. But this was just like, God, he was such a fucking holy terror. He just burnt down every single oh, thing. Oh, it must have been great to see that uh, horrible building, uh, building burned down. Well, with him, it was always about revenge. Yeah. Uh, when you read his letters, every time he like burns something down, it's always in retaliation to something else. He's a man of weird principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Very strange principle. Uh, everything, it, it's, he is, if I were to use a word to describe Panzerheim, it is deliberate. Mm. Like, everything that he does has a reason. Uh, whether he's trying to get back at somebody else in uh, the earlier part of his life, like, all of it has a reason, and that's what makes him so terrifying. He's not like a Richard Chase, like, like I, And it, there's comfort in the Richard Chases and this idea of being, well, sometimes people go a little wibbity-wobbity and they do a bunch of weird fucked up shit, right? But he literally, if he wanted to do something to you, he, he would do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So after burning down a fucking building at the yeah. age of 12, Panzram got a tip from some of the smarter boys that if he ever wanted to get out of the reform school, he needed to, at the very least, give the appearance of loving Jesus. Mm. And it worked. But Panzram naturally left a little bitter. You know, he's a little bitter. A little bitter it's, about the whole experience with the, the Christian reform school. Yeah, and that not, makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, and not not like commercial actor bitter. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I was bitter, and I went to Catholic school, and I just had to go to Mass every now and again, and I got yelled at, uh, you know, for uh, saying horrible things to teachers. And I yeah. was bitter, and that was technically, I was the one in the wrong. I've been taught by Christians how to be a hypocrite, and I've learned more about stealing, lying, hating, Burning and killing. I had learned that a boy's penis could be used for something besides to urinate with, and that a rectum could be used for other purpose than crepitating. Oh yes, I learned a hell of a lot from my expert instructors furnished to me free of charge by society in general and the state of Minnesota in particular. From the treatment I received while there, and the lessons I learned from it, I had fully decided when I left there just how I would live my life. I made up my mind that I would rob, burn, destroy, and kill everywhere I went, and everybody I could, as long as I lived. That's the way I was reformed in the Minnesota State Training School, and we're bringing it back. WrestleMania 38. (laughs) uh, I mean, uh, it's obviously extremely disturbing stuff. I am stealing from Chris Benoit, of course. (laughs) Yes, I mean, maybe teach him arts and science uh, next time you send somebody to a reform school If he had just learned to play the flute, he could have been in Jethro Tull. Maybe, who knows? And then they would have beaten Metallica. (laughs) And so in January, Carl was released to the care of his mother and was sent back home. But when he got there, there, they immediately put him to work on the farm. So, And he didn't want to do that shit, so to get out of it, Panzerim said he wanted to be a preacher, so he was sent to seminary school. He would have been an amazing preacher. Oh. If he could have just faked it enough, he would have been <laughs> Everybody so stand ready. up. Everybody stand up. First thing we're gonna do is 
thankfully everybody came on such a lovely Sunday morning. But first, hand me the hammer. First thing we're gonna do is take this lion wizard off his piece of wood. Now you old Mrs. Barberry, you're gonna nail him right back in while I have my way with old Mr. Barberry. I love this new reformed reform church. The first evangelical church. <laughs> and this whole scheme that he had to get out of farm work by going to seminary school, it worked for a little while until Carl ran afoul of a German preacher who started beating him on the regular. Mm. Finally, Carl had had enough and decided he was going to commit murder for the first time. He was going to shoot the preacher dead with a cult pistol, and he was inspired by this wonderful little couplet. Be a man, either great or small in size. Colonel Colt will equalize. He literally, huh. it was a, a, he got inspired to kill by a commercial jingle. Yeah, it's, it sounds like he was eating like a really aggressive Laffy Taffy. Yes. <laughs> Laffy Taffy set you right. Get some murder in your sight. <laughs> Look at that. And the candy's pretty good too. So Carl showed up to school with a gun in his jacket, but it fell out during a scuffle with the preacher that Carl was planning to shoot. So Carl picked up the gun, pointed it at the preacher's head, and pulled the trigger three times. No hesitation. No hesitation whatsoever. Well, good thing for the preacher, gun didn't go off. Uh. And so Carl's first attempted murder at the age of 13 was unsuccessful. And this is how hardcore shit was in America at this time. He tried to shoot a preacher in the face. He was just sent home. Yes. Right? Yes. Gun didn't go off. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't at a reform school. He was at a seminary. But, like, they didn't call the cops. They didn't do anything like that. They're just like, all right, Carl, it's time to head home. <laughs> funny joke, Carl. Funny Looks joke. like you're not going to work out here. It's hey, kind of funny how your punishment's like the thing you wanted the most. <laughs> Leave the Laffy Taffy with me, please. <laughs> click, 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 click. No, click. still doesn't work, sir. <laughs> so Carl was kicked out of school, beaten when he got home, and Carl decided it was time to hit the road. At 13 years old? At 13. Is he like a cartoon mouse? How is he just like, I'm going to see the country? This was back in the day. Technically, this is a Bob Seger song. It, it, yeah. yeah, I was thinking it's a Johnny Cash meets Bob Seger kind of situation. Yeah, but as cars weren't going to be commonplace for another couple decades, hitting the road meant riding the rails. Mm. And riding the rails meant hobos, bindle stiffs, mush fakers, and roustabouts. Yeah. I do love this if you got to stay at a really nice Airbnb every 12 hours. <laughs> See, you're just talking about taking a train. Like, yes, like, that's what I'm thinking train. about. Just, a train, yes. just an open-air train. They had yes. to sleep behind the coal thing. They learned there was ways to hide on a train, because normally you have also railmen and rail mm -hmm. breakers, guys that are walking around like looking for people that yeah, are railroad hiding. Railroad bulls. Railroad bulls. Oh, Ugh. yeah. No, yeah, listen to any Woody Guthrie song. You're going to hear a lot about railroad bulls. Um, but I remember this one definition. So, so, so at the time, there were three levels of homeless workers, right? There were bums that never work, tramps that only work where they have to, and hobos mm. that uh, travel to work. They travel and work. Carl Panzram is not our first. This is the very first version of a hobo serial killer. <laughs> it, very interesting and, and slightly different than a drifter serial killer because they didn't have access to cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would yeah. say that a, yeah, a drifter does necessitate a car culture. I think so. Yeah. I wonder what they were called before the trains, though. Just walking. Yeah, just walking guys. <laughs> I'm a walking guy. Walking, walking guy. dude. Well, what, what do you mostly do? I walk. <laughs> Makes sense, walking guy. Oh, yeah, there were hobos, bindlesips, mush fakers. They were also the curious American phenomenon of the egg. Now, the egg does yeah. sound like a weird diet egg, like from the <laughs> 80s. Ooh, I love the egg. Now, a egg was a kind of traveling burglar who was usually accompanied by his quote-unquote boy. And not hmm. boys and like, oh, he's my boy. That's my boy. That's, that's my, boy. my boy. Yeah, that's my boy. No, it's boy. It's a young boy who got roped into riding the rails with a criminal. I see. Uh, so, yeah, it was a kind of weird, like, pedophilic criminal tag team that would Got ride it. the rails and they and that's the thing there were so many of these guys they had their own subculture in the hobo world this, with their own like rules value systems and traditions wasn't there a scene in the remake of Dennis the Menace from the 90s where this exact thing happened holy shit yeah they're eating the beans <laughs> yes. that's a yay yes, exactly. and Dennis the Menace is the boy that's what I kept saying we've already talked about this before about Dennis the Menace is obviously doing all of these these dastardly little things for yeah. the negative attention and finally be like 
Oh, Mr. Wilson, I did something <laughs> so naughty today. What are you going to do get about out of here. that? Boy, get out of here. I don't know. It seems like I need to tie on my cute little shoelaces and I got my skin. I'm the victim here. Get style. out of here. <laughs> boy, boy. Yeah, boy. Good God. <laughs> no, here's an example. I, I found this. I looked up Yeg. On, I just love this. I looked up Yeg on uh, just in the dictionary to see if I could get a different definition of it. Uh, this is an example of Yeg being used in a popular 1917 crime novel called Slippy McGee. <laughs> and look here. Don't you get the notion in your bean I'm just some little old two by four guy of a Yeg or some poor nut of a dip. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they used to speak so much better. It just, but also, it's kind of interesting. It's such cute words. Yeah. Everybody's just so racist and pedophilic. Oh, doing horrible <laughs> and things. Murderous. Yeah. Just, don't get nothing in that bean of yours. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say about uh, Deadwood. Uh, you know, Deadwood has such like foul fucking language all the time. But in reality, like those guys were just all like, "Dag nabbit, dag nabbit." I got to put a bean in you. Know? It's like it's all that shit. Meanwhile, they're just like having sex with a twelve-year-old girl who's essentially a slave to. The town. It's horrible. Yeah, they all speak like they're in a Hans Christian Andersen novel, and then they're doing just one of the most horrific things that human beings can do. So this was essentially, this is the world that Pandram was living in at just the age of 13. Wow. He wrote, One experience I had during that time I never forgot, and it had a direct bearing on a lot of my actions later in life. And mm. that experience was being gang raped by mm. four hobos in a boxcar in the middle of the night. I mean, Ugh. he was a young kid yeah. that obviously was a tiny bit hardened. He was kicked out on the street. He's out. He's riding the rails. He's alone. He sees a bunch of people. And the, the way he was is that he, he approached four guys. They all seemed really nice. And they were sweet to him. And they were, like, talking about him. And finally, they were like, um, we're going to do this thing to you that we all like to do to each other. And he's just like... I don't really know about that. And then it it became a very seminal experience for him. Well, naturally, I mean, this will be a, a turning point for anybody's life. And specifically, if you don't have uh, a therapist or any kind of psychological support, if you have nothing and this a, a traumatic in, uh uh, a situation like this occurs. I mean, he oh, this, was really doomed. This is what changed Carl Panzer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, like this, this is very here. intense, horrible sexual assault. Yeah, yeah, horrific. I mean, and this is like what he pretty much did is that he transferred that trauma that he suffered in that boxcar one night to hundreds, if not thousands, of other men in his 38 years on this earth. I mm. would bet thousands. I would bet thousands. I actually did a little bit of math, and uh, the math, like, say he started at 15, ended when he was 38. He absolutely could have done that. And I don't want to see that equation that you worked out <laughs> yes. in chalk on your wall. But Just I Carolina hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> so what you're working on? I'm working on a math problem. Uh, five men times ten men. But yeah, because you're going to find out later in life that this is just what he would do. He yeah. would go from town to town, he'd rob people and say, drop your pants, and then he would just go around her, and it's very, very fucked up. Now, not too long after that, Carl ran into a group of men in a livery stable. They were all getting drunk, and they said, hey, Carl, we got some beer. Try the beer, but the whiskey's better. Mm. So they just kept giving him more and more to drink, and they got Carl so wasted he passed out, and he was again gang-raped. And this happened couple months sure. yeah, between each other. Uh, and about this, Carl wrote, I did not want to learn these lessons, but I found out that it isn't what one wants in this world that one gets. Force and might make right. Perhaps things shouldn't be that way, but that's the way they are. I learned to look with suspicion and hatred on everybody. The years went on, mm. and that idea persisted in my mind above all others. I figured that if I was strong enough and clever enough to impose my will on others, I was right. I still believe that to this day. Another lesson I learned at that time was that there were a lot of very nice things in the world. Among them were whiskey and sodomy, but it depended on who and how they were used. I have used plenty of both since then, but I have received more pleasure from them than I did those first times. And then Crocs. <laughs> oh, Crocs are a very nice thing. Yeah, I mean, if he was just around in a different situation, uh, he's just a human being. Obviously, he has some, uh, uh, you know, uh, intellectual ineptitude. Yeah. Uh, he could have just been Roger Stone. 
<laughs> I mean, like he could have been anything. It's just, it's so unfortunate. We hear this time and time again on this show with these stories. Life, the situations that they were thrown into, unbeknownst to them, not because of their fault. And obviously he could have made personal So you're just saying changes. he could have just been a different kind of evil? Yeah. Basically. Instead of being uh, the kind of like hobo evil, he could be like political evil and like contribute to the deaths of hundreds of thousands. Effectively instead of just evil. 21 or so. Well, I guess I did just say that, yes. Yeah. But uh, I stand by the statement. Well, also, we're going to also find out later on he was actually very similar to Osama bin Laden or uh, someone that wanted to be a terrorist. He really, this, this feeling is going to expand hmm. to a global... Attitude. Well, really, if you if you check out Carl Panzerum, like some of his fannies, fantasies later on, like understanding Carl Panzerum, you kind of get to understand the mentality of a terrorist. Timothy mm. McVeigh, like these yeah. kind of people where it's somebody who's about to pop off, you wanted to do a bunch. We're going to get to it. It's very, very interesting. Oh, it's really right. fucked up. But also, he was born, you know, so he was born to this. He was made worse by this. And it's very similar to Eileen Warnos. Mm. In my, yeah, in, I was it, thinking that as well. It yeah. sets up that series of validations because mm. that's really what it is, right? What we just we talked about with serial killers all the time it's looking for what is the thing that finally says yes to the dress that mm-hmm. i can start killing again and so this is one of those things that gave him his his motivation and and eileen yeah. Moros uses that as like her thesis statement of being like the world treated me like shit so i treat the world like shit that's all they know so carl spent a few more months hopping between boxcars robbing the whole way until he was arrested for burglary in butte montana and sent to another reform school there he attempted to murder a guard for giving him a hard time by beating his head in with a piece of iron. Didn't huh? yeah, he wasn't successful, but for his troubles, the school sent Carl to a hospital and clipped his foreskin to prevent him from masturbating. Now, did they think the power was in the foreskin? <laughs> Honestly, it, yeah. I'm just thinking, is it like a Samson situation? <laughs> yeah. the, the biblical story where they're just like, we know where he gets all of his strength. Think, Clip it. You think if you make a man more European-like, he's gonna become less horny? <laughs> I rather was like, why would they go about that procedure? But anyway. Yeah, and about the whole clipping situation, Carl said. Oh, the hell. All they figured that would stop me is more than I could see. I can't yet. It's like cutting Beethoven's fingers off. He would have learned to play with his feet. (laughs) Possibly true. (laughs) So when Carl was at that reform school, he made friends with a kid named Jimmy. So Carl and Jimmy escaped together, which was the first of Carl's many successful and unsuccessful jailbreaks. Now, this is probably the only true happy period of his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, like, eight-month stretch with, stretch with him and Jimmy going around doing their favorite thing in the world, which was rob churches and burn them down. <laughs> Yep. That it was their favorite activity. I, I, mean, I understand. They were getting a lot of it out. A lot of their uh, anger towards the church out. Uh, oh, yeah. With stealing and burning. That's a, another thing with, with uh, Carl Panzerim is that, you know, because he was treated that way in the Christian reform school, that's why right. he loved robbing and burning churches. God, fucking. It's like Nordic see, death metal. See, you're getting on Harold Schechter territory I, now. I, I, like, I, it is like, like Nordic you're, you're death getting metal, on, you're though. Getting yeah. on the, like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's so cool, dude. And if yeah. he had learned how to drum properly oh yeah. my god he would have been uh, such a good death metal drummer he really would have <laughs> yeah another thing they would do is that they would uh shimmy underneath box cars that were transporting wheat and they would drill holes in the bottom of the box cars right before the train took off from the station so all of the wheat would be trailed behind the train on the tracks again it, was, it sounds more and more like the plot of this is not little rascal <laughs> that to me I, it's, I know it's a massive pain in the ass and they probably cost thousands and thousands of dollars in damage but that's a childish thing to do. Yeah. Well, they're, they're just little mayhem machines. Right. They're just little jokers. <laughs> <laughs> now, eventually, the two split in Fargo with Jimmy going to jail for burglary and Carl heading back home for a couple days before going out west again. And there, for some reason... He decided to join the army. Well, it seemed like, actually, this is a part of uh, history that I don't really understand. I don't know if you know more about it. It seemed like there were a lot of, there were a lot of like unofficial armies like in that time period, especially in the weird borderlands, more militias. Were, well, there, maybe. Well, there yeah. was a, no. It was more like a, a ter- there was like a territorial army. There was a, a foreign army because at this time uh, the Indian Wars were just winding down. Yeah, uh, the Indian Wars, like the major Indian Wars, had only ended maybe like 10, 15 years earlier. But there were still a lot of skirmishes happening uh, across the American West mm-hmm. with like little po- pockets of resistance with uh, certain Indian tribes. Uh, yeah. So being in uh, the army at this point, like you. Were 
were stationed in America. You were stationed in the West, but it was also horrifically boring. Like some of these guys, like even during the height of the Indian Wars, some of these guys would be in the army for three, four years and never see an Indian once. Ooh, that's, they, that's, that's, the, that's lucky though. Yeah, that's yeah. when you get stationed in like Honolulu now. Yeah, but, but these guys, but a lot of those guys ended up dying from alcoholism because they were so ridiculously mm. bored because they just are put on a plot of dirt and they're just like, wait for an Indian to come by. If you do, make sure to shoot him. Thank yep. you for your service. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> and you whiskey, drunk. just yes. drinking a bunch of whiskey alone, that's like putting a dance party into your own mind. That's it. <laughs> but that's also it. what he said was that, you know, I think a lot of it's that he like he was very bored and he also viewed himself as a great American like hero. Yeah. There's a part of him where he's like, I want to be like the stories of the old West you hear about, like Billy the Kid. And a lot of these guys joined the army, so I was going to do that. And also, he joined one Mexican stretch of the army because he said in Mexico, the churches have more gold and silver in them. And then when I travel through town, I can b- b- rob these churches and burn them down while just being in the army as a sidekick. Wow, he is thinking. He is thinking. I would love to see him on Shark Tank. So what's your industry exactly? I work at crawl bars and I sell crucifixes. I'll invest. Well, the weird thing about Carl is that like, he has a romantic streak. He does. Like, if you read uh, his writings, he has a very like romantic ideal of himself. Because uh, when he stole that pistol when he was 11, uh, he said he did it so he could be a cowboy. I mean, he wanted to be a cowboy so he could kill Indians, uh, but it's still this, like, romantic ideal of, like, a Wild West American. But it's yeah. also that weird idea of people joining the army specifically just to be able to have a legal reason to kill somebody. Yep. Yeah, my friend tried to do that, or not really a friend, a strange, fairly strange guy that never really spoke uh, growing up, uh, but then it turns out that he did not enjoy getting yelled at. He wanted to do the murder part, mm-hmm. but he did not like the break me down, scream at me for uh, multiple months part. And that was pretty much pantram. Yeah, you should yeah. be a, a police officer in the south <laughs> yeah, probably. yeah Carl, he lasted like a month uh and then after a month he was caught trying to smuggle out uh two army overcoats a suit and a shitload of gold collar buttons Ooh. uh yeah he was planning to just go to town fence them real fast and then come on back Aww, but they thought, caught him immediately he's not he a smart make, criminal no he's he was not. gonna make a really really well-dressed scarecrow <laughs> That'd be kind of fun but this was the probably one of the worst mistakes he ever made when he because then he got set to fort leavenworth yeah he was <sighs> caught court-martialed and sentenced to three years at Fort Leavenworth, the worst military prison in all of America. And this sentence was passed down by the then Secretary of War and future President William Howard Taft. And amazingly, Panzram would actually take revenge on Taft 13 years later. But we'll get to that yes, on the next Yes, we episode. have to get to that later. Damn I can't you, wait. Taft! The only people that ever Shubby screamed Taft. at Taft in, in rage was the, the first inventor of the rolling chair. <laughs> I love that my last name is Taft because I can say it with my mouth full of chicken. Taft. <laughs> you can't not say it. So Leavenworth was a military prison where convicts were assigned grades from first to third. First would get special privileges, and third would get hard time. Pandram very quickly found himself a third grader. Yeah. Third graders were put under a total silent system, and if any of them broke a rule, the entire company was forced to stand at attention all night long. There were beatings, of course, but they would also use straight jackets on men, lacing them up so tight the men would pass out. Hmm. And they would just call it giving them the jacket. Oh. Which yeah. is not good. Not when I go into, I'm going to men's warehouse, by the <laughs> Thank way. You wanna, <laughs> Thank you for equating that. I do want to say that. But it's that. not like that because very comfortable jackets. I'm quite, I'm, I'm going to like the way I look. You're going to like the way you look. I, yeah. gonna like, yeah. I, I, do, I do like the way I look. <laughs> the worst punishment at Leavenworth was getting fitted with a stereotypical ball and chain, which mm. prisoners refer to as, quote, earning the baby. Now, most of the time you don't earn a baby. Most of the no. time you just kind of get a baby. You get a baby. <laughs> but this is, he definitely earned the baby. What, um, what does it mean, earn the baby? The baby, because the, the ball weighed 50 pounds and it was worn day and night. Even when you slept, you still had to wear the ball and chain. Like that whole stereotypical, like cartoonish ball and chain shit. Like, it's all real. It's all oh, real. Yeah, oh, it still it's happens all today. real. And he would wear a big striped suit. And he'd have to carry it in his hands when they would do the gigantic, like, like forced marches they were doing. Well, they yeah. had to, he, he worked in the rock quarry, and the rock quarry was four miles away from the prison. So he essentially took this gigantic right. iron ball, this 50 pound ball, and walked four miles both ways, back and forth, did eight and a half, nine hours of hard labor. One of so, the craziest versions of CrossFit to ever yeah, exist. I was going to say, so the prison, uh, the, the man who ran the prison was like, 
Maybe we should just get the prisoners to be like stronger than like Brutus. Yeah. <laughs> and then in no way will they overthrow us. Yeah, he did this for six six months of that. Every single day. Uh and this is what he wrote about that shit, what that did to him. God, good lord, was he fucking strong. At this time of my life, I was about 20 years old, six foot tall and weighed about 190 pounds of concentrated, hell-fired, man-inspired meanness. I was as strong as two or three average men and half a Spider-Man. <laughs> but all of that treatment did one good thing for me. Mm. The worse the food was, and the harder they worked me, the stronger I got. I quit my old habit of masturbating because I couldn't do that and the hard work and punishment at the same time. He masturbated so much yeah. that the work <laughs> kept them from masturbating. Right. Oh, I would love to see him as one of the um, as one of the coaches or trainers on The Biggest Loser. <laughs> Good. Let me you show you get... how to use that machine. What are you doing? Why are you taking my clothes off? <laughs> I've shown you how to use them. Oh, right. Good Lord. Maybe we shouldn't have him do that. Six foot, 190 pounds. So he's getting buff. I mean, he is a monster. This, I mean, Carl Panzer, I mean, he is a he's professional wrestler size. Yeah, he's yeah. huge. Yeah, he's, he's gigantic. Man. And he would maintain that six foot, 190 build for the rest of his life, and his rage would only get worse. Mm. This is what Carl later wrote about his attitude upon being released from Leavenworth in 1910. I had fun. I feel flirty, and I feel ready to be <laughs> is out. Is that what he in said? spring collection from Forever 21 is looking absolutely wonderful, fabulous, and free. Well, lucky for you, I'm a fashion model. Uh, I, I hire fashion models. Here, I want to show you how to use the machine. I don't know. Oh my goodness! <laughs> this is how. This is this what he is, really. This said. is really what he said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For some reason, it didn't help his attitude. Mm. No. Shocking. I was the spirit of meanness personified. I had not at this time got so that I hated myself. I only hated everybody else. <laughs> So technically, he did still have a little love in his heart for himself. Just a tiny bit. It just kept beating. It just kept getting beaten down and beaten down and beaten down throughout his life because that's just how it was in the prison system. Because he was just like just rebellious. Right. I have a weird impulse to say. I think that. He liked the way he looked. Like oh, I think that he did. I honestly I, do think that he would look in whatever sort of mirror they allowed him to have. I'm looking pretty good these days. Yeah. Wowie, wow, wow. Just like Lex Luthor just flexing. I got that natural V. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a D'Angelo. Yeah. And we'll get into just what he did with that power, that rage, that hatred, and that anger in part two. Of Carl Pandre. We have ended this episode with me envious, actually. Yes. <laughs> I am actually now a little bit upset that he has a perfect body. Rock hard body. Uh. And also... Don't take no shit from anybody. Well, I he like took a attitude. lot from a lot of people. But all right, Carl yeah. Panzerim. And, we'll, wow. and we'll get into like the truly evil stuff that he did. Because at, yes. at this point, Carl Panzerim, like, you know, was he could have gone either way. Yeah, he's like a bum and a misfit and a piece of shit and obviously a killer and yeah. and, a, and he ready to be a killer. Yeah, and he made he he makes a choice. And then yeah. once he makes that choice, he keeps making choices. He essentially gets to see like how far can I go? Right. And he does this all over the world. And you're also watching the actual birth process. You remember the dude that's covered in, in muscles and Ren and Stimpy, the one who goes, Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. He becomes that man. Ah, uh, I see. Um, unfortunately, Ren and Stimpy weren't there to soften his heart because <laughs> they are amazing. Um, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Great episode. I'm just going to, I'm giving ourselves a, a compliment. Great episode. It was okay. It was okay. Okay. I don't know. Um, I want to thank We can always do better. We can, let's just not, why are we recording us? I don't this know. You did this. I didn't do it. I just, I said something nice. Can't we say something nice every now and again? Good Lord Almighty. Um, uh, yeah, again, thank you, Texas. Yes. It's such a great time. Austin was amazing. Dallas yeah. and Houston. What a... Uh, yeah, thanks wait, to, your home state was beautiful, Marcus. It was wonderful. It was. Thank you to everyone at Sidewander in Austin, uh, White, White Oak, Oak in Houston, uh, and Texas, uh, Theater. Texas Theater in Dallas. And also shout out to our boy Anthony at Pie Pizza in, in Houston. Houston. So fucking good. Great pizza. Such good pizza. Yeah. Very intense stories. Yeah, and we I will share. And I will tell you, dude, I talked to... I'm talking to Anthony right now. I talked to my dad, and yes... We 
we are related. Well, you go to Texas <laughs> and you're going to find a relative. That's what we learned. Uh, also, yes, I believe we share a, like a great great uncle. Yes, I want to thank. I believe it's Angela uh, for the Vladimir Putin riding a unicorn T-shirt, which yes. is yes. my favorite T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for not putting us in your prison system. Yes. That, oh, we were very fortunate <laughs> yeah, for that. We, yeah. we did and head through Huntsville. Yeah, and we drove a little fast, yeah. Henry. <laughs> I did, Henry was like, I feel like I'm driving with my mother. I learned a lesson right. from Tracy Chapman that if you want to no, get from place to place as fast as humanly possible, you drive a fast car. No, she, yeah, a, she didn't drive her car fast. She had a fast car. Yeah, and that's and what I And she used it responsibly and legally. I turned our Hyundai Sonata into a fast car. Yeah, well, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Should we Patreon? Uh, yeah, yeah. If you, guys, uh, if you guys want to uh, give us a, a little bit of cash uh, and get a little something in return, you can go to patreon.com uh, slash last podcast on the left. Uh, and if you give just a dollar or more, then you get advanced ticket sales uh, to all of our upcoming live shows. Uh, of course, we're coming to uh, Milwaukee. We're about to announce uh, another huge spate of live shows uh, for late summer and uh, early fall into uh, wintertime. We're coming to a lot of different places all around the country. I can't. This one is super exciting. And all we right. also we can't wait to uh, come to Milwaukee in July. Uh, just uh, either Google Last Podcast on the left, Milwaukee, or go to cavecomedyradio.com slash live uh, for ticket links. And thank awesome. you to these episodes. I'm very happy we're not taking the train. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's so very you, true. You can find us on Twitter at Henry Loves You, at Ben Kissel, at Marcus Parks. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Instagram at, at Dr. Fantasy, mm-hmm. at Ben Kissel1, the number one, at Marcus uh-huh. Parks. And you can find us at all the bullshits for Last Podcast on the left at LP on the left. Absolutely. And keep on supporting all the shows here on CCR, Abling its top app for everything political. The Cowmen will be performing at Skinny Dennis yeah. on June 16th for our Woo. big launch party. A roundtable of gentlemen uh, for a fun little time with your friends. Uh, movie signs with the Mads, Page 7, Sex and Human Activities. You know everything here on CCR. Wizard and the Bruiser. And we have to... <laughs> I signed a contract a- with Holden on a napkin that oh, I have really? to mention at each episode. In blood. What do you get? I get him. I get moments of peace. That would be wonderful. Uh, Hail Lord. Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail Gene. Hail me. Please. Please, if you would. And a magustalations. Also, uh, thank you guys so much for the webbies. We had an amazing time with the, at the Yes. Webbies. Oh, yeah. Super, thank you. Super fun. And uh, see you soon, Chris Cornell. I miss you, man. It's really fucked up. It's really that was, very sad. That was, we did, it was a very weird week. Very yeah. sad. Yeah, it yes. was really strange. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, Hell yourself. I'm glad I ended on that. Yeah, yeah thank, well. you for, thank you for thank you for bringing <laughs> no, that. That was actually this a is nice. Like, thing. This is tra- like the first hour that I haven't thought about that in like the last day and a half. That was technically Henry trying to be nice. Oh, now nice. and it's just like I'm just gonna it's gonna be that same thing where like I'm walking home and it's just gonna be and feel on black day. A lot of people like Soundgarden. Feel love Soundgarden. That's very good. Fucking love Soundgarden. Magustulations. Bye. Bye. Is it a good way to start? I don't know. Either way, we've just started it. Uh, so these are the Patreon shoutouts. Thanks uh, to everybody who donated. You are the reason we exist, and we love you very love much. Love your money. Love your support. Love your money. Love you as a people. As I well, love your as money. And I like you. I like me. All right, I, you, uh, you we're did, friends. We're all friends. All right. I want to thank Brian Harris. Uh, I want to thank Mitchell Ebert, April Bryant, Rachel Domelt, Creighton King, Gareth Hook, Matthew McCary. Thank you, Matthew. Anna Cole, this is gonna be a tricky one. Uh, Coolorous, cool or coolorous, calorious. Anna Coolorous. 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 Anna Coolorous. I think I know her though. Oh, nice. Thank you, Anna. Hey. Janelle Graves, Ryan Errico, Christina Norton, George Devanos, DJ Loves Farts, Meat Sauce Butt Juice. (laughs) Why do I always get these? (laughs) Thank you so much. DJ Loves Farts, Meat Sauce Butt Juice. Jesus fucking Christ. Thank you. <laughs> Peter Krensky, Adrian Roberts, uh, Kelzebub, Emily Weisberg, and Omar Olmos. Leonardo Tanaue. KCL Gjol. That's something that's Russian? With a with it's got a it's got an O with a slash through it. I don't know what that means. Kevin Crossan, Aaron Reese, Deb Arayano, Jacqueline Guterres, Jesse Pearson, Kyle, Andrew O'Malley, Andrew O'Malley. Alchemy Alice, we met her. Hey, girl, hi. Hello. Um, Matt Wagner, Caitlin Deschenay, Hannah Gurnett, Chloe Melvin, Ryan Nadler, Melissa Maria Constance, Mariana Vera. All right. I got Jerry Meyer Judson, Max Smith, Patrick Delaney, James McKinnon, Jim Stetnix, Hugo Medina, 
Jason Park, Nora, Amanda Kenworthy, Amanda, Tom Grinnell, Allie Dukes, Bill Pilling, Colin... No, she <laughs> leave Allie Dukes alone. Yeah, I knew exactly what you I thought. Knew exactly as soon as thought. Good lord. Colin Kearney, Forrest Thomas, Marie Zampano, Benjamin Sheffer, and Zelda Fredette. All right, I got Joe Tursick, Patrick Barry, Andrew Waddington, Brielle Calicchio or Calicchio, Caitlin Higgins, Teresa Lane, Alexander Hickey, Sydney Harris, Ariel Teague, The Late Late Show presents. Ooh, uh, I think G- we're gonna we're gonna do James a, Corden. I have no idea. Maybe James Corden's or Gordon's Corden or Gordon. I don't think Fatty Sings listens to the show. Oh my goodness, <laughs> he's very talented. Uh, Logan H. Pratt. Daniel Acton, Melanie, uh, Melanie Nielsen, Haley Martin, Max White, Georgia Bergson, Anita Mitchell, and Caitlin Hubbard. Thank you all so much. Shipwrecks, Amanda Guillen, Roxanne Napier, Greg Arwolf, Dana Robies, Grim, Michael Bartolomeo, Janice Woodson, Justin Harry, hmm. Sebastian John O'Nielsen, Ashley Anderson, Broken pint glass. Cool. Ooh. Natasha Holm, Sheila Connor. Alex. I'm for Sheila Connor. <laughs> Sheila Connor. <laughs> Alex Bergman, Jesse Fullerton, Ryan Harrig, Nick Bodyford, Vapey McVape. Oh. <laughs> Vape Life. Vape Life. Chunky Clouds. Tim Rafferty, Stephen Bukalik, Britt Slayton, Allison Kite, Megan Geiger, Patrick Seba, Isaac Van Duyn. Katie R. St. Pierre and Zach Casper. All right, I got a little bit, a couple more here. We got Squally Green Thumb. I hope that's your birth name. Squally Green Thumb, Laura Mulligan, Tabletop Minions, Annalise Van Dyke, Don Smith, Colin O'Donnell, Austin Nader, Savannah, Re, uh, Renan Sutton, Rhiannon, Rhiannon Sutton. Good. Rhiannon Sutton, uh, Jason Lay, Amy Wilkins, Nicole Adams. Evan S. Parliament, Pat Fode, Vanessa Murray, Nerd Girl Cosplay. Thank Ooh. you, Nerd Girl Cosplay. Bryce Laughlin and Mike K. Thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart. Sean DeHaan, Natalie Douglas, Marcus Frey, Ali Anver, Ricardo Iraguas, William Yeager, Some Splicer, mm. Nora Rubinowski, Dana Kitchens, Kate, Nick Koteski, Elizabeth. I love it. Kelsey Morrison, Veronica Lee, and Justin Woolley, who I believe we know as well. Yes, Hail I Satan, think so. I've seen, his, I've seen his fucking ass around. Seen sure, him around. sure. Yeah, we've seen him around. All right. Well, thank y'all very that's much. It. Yeah, no. that, that's you. it. We got we got a show. We got to get out of here. We got to let the brighter side record. All right. Yeah. We're coming the... back with some new episodes. Yeah, and we got to line all the seats with plastic for Ed Larson to sit on. <laughs> <laughs> Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Hail me. Magus delicious. <laughs> <laughs>